O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, watch over our pleasant and fullest all things, treasure blessings, and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, does anyone have any questions or anything that has piqued their interest or concerned or just want to know something in general? Everything is crystal clear? I'm curious, uh, why, uh, why is it the Apostle James instead of Jacob in English? You'll have to ask the British. Okay. Because <laughs> it's Yakovos. Mm. This is Jacob in Greek. Mm. So, uh, I've heard a theory, it might not be a theory, it might be true, that they renamed the epistle of St. Yakovos to St. James because when was the King James Version uh, it was King James and so they renamed it James or that was just the equivalent but there's a lot of you know names that you're like oh that is actually like I don't know how we get I mean a Dick from Richard for example mm -hmm. right or like what is Bill from William I, mean, I kind of get that but Bob and Robert that's the most sensible of the three but still yeah. we're the why not Rob? But it becomes Bob, right? It might be that mm -hmm. as well. It might be the King James theory. That seems a little conspiratorial, but I've also lived long enough to know sometimes something that sounds like a conspiratorial thing actually is really that way because, I mean, King James had a huge influence on the mm -hmm. translation of that Bible or putting it together. So. Just curious. I'm going to guess this is everybody's first time celebrating the transfiguration of our Lord. Unless yes, because you explain. Not you. You've been around Orthodoxy for a while. <laughs> and Adrian, have you been around for over yeah. a year? So it's his first time. Yeah, first time. Yeah. Can so you explain it. As in what it is, what it means, so on and so forth. So the Feast of Transfiguration. Well, you guys tell me. We heard we heard the gospel. What I mean, what happens at the Feast of Transfiguration? Jesus is transformed before his disciples. In the Greek, I like that you said transformed and transfigured because you know what it says in the Greek metamorphosis mm -hmm. right so that kind of changes your mind already because in English you think of transfigure and you kind of just think like he got like the light got set on him right but like metamorphosis is like he literally changed in front of them right what else happens there if you have the icon of the transfiguration did you all see the icon in the center what is going what is going on in the icon I mean icons this is what if you come, for example, last night, coming to Vigil, you hear a lot of the hymnody. At the Divine Liturgy, you hear a little bit, like the Traparian and Kentuckian, of, about the feast. Uh, and because it's a feast of our Lord, that's why the antiphons were different with the liturgy. Uh, if you noticed, it was, it was different psalm verses than typical. Uh, and they were all, like, mountain stuff, right? Uh, because it was the Feast of Transfiguration. What you get uh, in the hymnody is that you basically get a snapshot of what the fathers actually talked about in their exegesis, and it's all built into the hymnody, so that you, uh, we were singing it during clergy communion. A lot of the hymnody was stuff from last night that they were singing. So for example, there's a, a hymn from last night that says, David saw, uh, 
the basically the advent or the coming of God in the flesh. And he assembled all creation to sing, and then it quotes from the Psalms, uh, Tabor and Herman are examples, and then like rejoices or something. But the idea there is like when David wrote the Psalm, he saw Jesus. So this is what you have with Moses and Elijah, right? Who does Moses? I mean, I know that you know who Moses is, or I hope that you would. I mean, even <laughs> in the world, people <laughs> kind of know who Moses is, right? Like, uh, who, who? What does he signify? The law. The law. Elijah, the best of the, the, the greatest prophet. Uh, lots of fire, Mount Carmel, Horeb. Like there, there is all of this. I don't know if you've noticed a the theme here, but mountain, 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 mountain. Uh, the ascension he goes up on the mountain like there's something in scripture about being on top of a mountain uh, I think it's kind of why we have this mountaintop experience type like language there's something about being on the top of a mountain uh, there is specifically with that conversation that we hear in the gospel of Luke that I was talking about where they're talking about his crucifixion the fathers of the church, that's why I said, like, Moses saw, I mean, the, the reading from Exodus last night was Moses talked to God face to face. How do you talk to a face without a face? Right? That there is, you typically take it as metaphorically, but the fathers of the church are like, Moses, and all the theophanies of the Old Testament, it's not God generically, it's Jesus Christ who is present in the burning bush that speaks, right? He is the one in the darkness on the cloud of Mount Sinai. He is the one who walks past Elijah. He is the one who is enthroned in Isaiah's vision. He is the one who Daniel sees in the Ancient of Days, right, in the book of Daniel. They all see Jesus. And it's not just that they see Jesus, but they also see the whole plan of salvation. So it's also the crucified Lord is who they see. And that is the thread that the fathers see. And so this is this is reflected in all the hymnody. David sees Christ, and he calls all of creation to rejoice. Because what do we get on uh, Mount Tabor? But Christ himself, that transfiguration, that metamorphosis, he's showing what the glory of humans actually are. He's showing the glory of God, but the glory of God is, uh, St. Irenaeus uh, talks about the glory of God is uh, man fully alive. Right? We were placed here to be the image bearers, the ones who shine forth the glory of God. That was our original role. It got messed up, but that was our role, and that is what Jesus is showing. This is me as the second Adam showing the glory of God. And it wasn't just kind of like, let me show you divinity, but it's also, this is about the cross. So you also have Peter, James, and John. Who, why is it Peter, James, and John? Why is it like all 12 of them? Is there a method to the madness? Where other places in scripture do you think of Peter, James, and John? There's at least one that I know that sticks out. Who goes with Christ to Gethsemane to pray? It's Peter, James, and John. Who struggles to stay awake? Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Who goes off by himself to pray? Jesus, and he leaves behind. So, in the Gospel of Luke, we didn't hear it this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, it doesn't talk about sleepiness or heaviness of sleep. In Luke, it talks about Peter, James, and John are heavy with sleep. And they kind of wake up, startled to see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, and then 
the transfiguration and then you know Peter not really knowing what he's doing which is also what happens in Garden of Gethsemane right he's the one who's got the sword and it's like you're not going to take him I'm going to cut off your ears the same thing I'm going to put let's build tabernacles let's keep you here so that you can't go to the cross so scripture if you if you especially if you read scripture like gospels and you read like Matthew and you just read Matthew and start looking for patterns and repetition of things you will say, like now I need to relate this to this like why Moses why Elijah I need to go back and read the story of Moses I need to know the story of Elijah uh, I need to see because at the end of the gospel of Luke it goes around saying he teaches on the road to Emmaus when he appears to the disciples there right in the breaking of bread says, you know, all the law and the prophets speak of me. It's all of Moses, and it's all what the prophets did and say, said. So, the Feast of the Transfiguration is not just a feast of, like, Jesus showed that he can glow in the dark, or, you know, that, like, that he's God, but it's all tied up with, just like when we celebrate the Feast of Theophany, which is the Feast of uh, our Lord's Baptism, that, that whole feast is the same, like the cross is at the center of it. Because the whole thing is a microcosm of him going down into the depths of creation and chaos of that. And basically uh, dying to himself, right, as we know as the image of baptism, and then coming up like an image of resurrection. You have God the Father saying the exact same thing in Theophany as he's saying in Transfiguration, right? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased to listen to him or hear him. There's a variation thereof, right? Uh, you have, I would say, the, the, the cloud and the light is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's the way the fathers all talk about the Holy Spirit is this light. So these are all little microcosms of the great Pascha of our Lord where he dies, buries, and resurrected. So they all, we say all of the life of Christ is cruciform. All of the miracles, all of them are things to bring us into the life of God. Uh, but God's life in the world is the cross. Just like our life is supposed to be cross. That is the glory. Does that help with the, the Feast of Transfiguration? But yeah, I, I don't know about you, but growing up when we talked about the we didn't talk about Feast of Transfiguration. You talk about the Transfiguration, it's just kind of like Jesus like, hey, take a look under the hood. Right? It's going to be okay. And then shutting the hood. Right? Like, I'm God. And he talks about the crucifixion. But for Orthodox, there is particularly this reflects on what we think humans are that humans being made in the image of God, uh, we will actually participate in the light and that the ascetical life and one of the things, because this particular feast and the exegesis of the fathers became a, 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 a debate in the church because there was basically monks who were saying that they saw the light of Jesus, that they saw the, Mount, the light of Mount Tabor in their prayers and in their experience of God. So you had another monk who who says that's just a metaphor right you guys are like talking about that and this is where St. Gregory Palamas whom we commemorate uh, during one of the Sundays of Great Lent uh, Mount Tabor figures into this the tradition of like no this is what the church has taught like we will actually see the light of divinity we can actually see it and experience God God is not um, an, just an idea we taste and we see and we experience God. 
So this is all wrapped up in the ascetical life of the church and what we see, what the point of humans are, right? Uh, we, too, participate. Not only do we see the light, but we also participate in the life of God and the light of God. There's stories. Are any of you familiar with uh, St. Seraphim of Sarov? You'll see him. Uh, he usually is he's, he's crouched down a lot of icons because there's a time in his life where these robbers came through and thought that he had money and they almost beat him to death because they were looking for the money that supposedly he had stashed. Uh, and he, so he kind of went around the rest of his life with um, a, basically a back that was bent over. Uh, but he was a great Russian saint and there is an encounter with him where they're having a conversation about prayer and the person who's talking with him looks up and he just sees like the light all around Saint Seraphim and surrounding him and he feels the presence of, of God and a lightness and light and love, etc. This is just one example, kind of a famous one of the 19th century of this experience of God that's an actual experience, not just like talking about God. So, any questions? Because I just dropped a whole lot of stuff there. Probably different from stuff you heard growing up. Yes. Uh, <laughs> can you explain a bit more about um, uh, carrying our own crosses? Like, elaborate on that. What do you think it means? Uh, well, I mean, what I think it means is to not be self-centered or selfish or egotistical or living for yourself. Um, but I want you to add to it, you know, like, because I, I, I know it's not a superficial thing or, you know, like a surface level thing. Right, it's not just a, like, like don't be so selfish, be kind don't to be a kid, share <laughs> yeah. your toys. Exactly, you know. So, so uh, it was a while back, I think it all got recorded and even live streamed on YouTube, and I think I recorded it. It was uh, St. Innocent of Alaska wrote a book called The Indication of the Way of the Kingdom of Heaven, and in there he breaks down what it means crosses. So I'm going to have to go back into my head and try to remember because I think he did a good job. So this is what I remember. One is things that happen in our life, period. Things that what? Things that happen in our life. Sickness can be a cross. Your mother can be a cross. Your wife could be a cross. Your husband could be a cross. Your children can be crosses. I'm just going to submit all of them are crosses, period. Now, what do I mean by that? When we love people, or when people are in our life, they're going to present us an opportunity to set, to step aside and to serve and to love them. So there is a sense in which we have crosses that are given to us and other people. I mean, I look at my kids and they're all crosses. And I don't mean that as in, like, I resent them. But they require <laughs> me to have to come out of myself and I have to love them and take care of them and I can either resent that cross and reject that cross and say I'm not dying here I'm going to be me and I'm going to maintain myself and whatever right? <laughs> loving other people period is a cross it is a choice to be able to actually I, mean, say, I think we basically suffer everyone and you either suffer them well or you suffer them poorly a lot of us 
generally tend to suffer each other pretty poorly. And by suffer, I don't I don't mean that in like everybody's just a pain in the butt. I mean some of us do probably experience it, some aspect, and that is our own thing that we need to work out. But you know, you're kind of doing your own thing, and all of a sudden somebody wants something from you. How do you respond to that? I don't know about you guys, but that can be really annoying to me, right? Instead of being like, my time is not my own. And I don't mean, therefore, become a doormat and let everybody run all over you, but like being able to not respond in anger, to be able to respond with patience, to be able to say, like, well, you know what, maybe we could do that thing. You know, those are all opportunities down the cross. There's the crosses I, I mentioned, like sickness. There are things in the world that we will suffer, poverty, other things that we can suffer as a cross, and we can resent the hell out of it and make it into hell when it's being offered to us as an opportunity in this situation to actually die and live. Because the whole crux of Christian spirituality is dying to oneself in order, like the paradox of I'm going to die in order to live. Now all of this requires discernment. You need help to yeah. be able to, because yeah. like I was talking about, like the discernment, like you could hear this and just be like, well, everybody should just accept everything as it is and therefore do nothing. No. That's not what it means. That's not what the fathers or the church when they talk about this. Uh, but it does mean generally our first go to thing is pretty much me, 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 and being able to turn around and be like, no, the life of God Himself, Jesus Christ Himself, that cross aspect is like, God himself is a cross. And what I mean by that is not like he's a piece of wood like this, but that he is cruciform. He comes to the world. He suffers us. He allows us to make a whole big old mess down here. And then he comes in and cleans up after us and then says, all right, here's the way that you should live. I've done everything. I've shed my blood for you. I've sacrificed my very life to be able to come down into the depths and pick you up and try to bring you back. I mean, he's accomplished that. The question is whether or not we're going to actually accept it and then learn, live into the crosses that we have to do. Because to become like God is to die on our own cross, or crosses. Because all of us are, this is a metaphor that I use, we're all dealt a hand of cards, right? This is life, here's your hand. Like, these are your parents. This is your situation in life. What are you going to do with it? You can try to run away from it. You can try to blow it up. You can try to accept it and live with it and suffer and love. And all of, like we were talking about last week, we, we didn't get to finish. We were going through the Beatitudes. Like, there, all of the Beatitudes cross, 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 cross. To be meek, to be able to handle other people wanting to push you around and being able to not just bow up and smack them in the head. <laughs> to be able to know that God is in charge of all things even if we might momentarily suffer something because we're not willing to, that we're going to be meek instead of just vicious back, to be merciful to others, even when they maybe don't deserve mercy. In our logic, they don't deserve, they don't be, deserve to be forgiven. They don't, de- yeah, in that logic, yes, you're right. Not God's logic, not the cross logic. I might have just muddied the water some, but... No, no, uh... It's, 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 it's actually a lot, a, lot, a lot clearer now, but um, I didn't tell what you were saying regarding um, it requires discernment. Is this where the noose comes in? Or? Okay, we can, well, we can talk about the noose in a minute because the, the class today is supposed to be kind of ascesis, orthodox spirituality, Jesus prayer stuff. So we'll talk about the noose in here in a minute. 
for you, I feel like you're going to say something. Yeah, so I guess the question that I have with that, though, is the, like, the balance between accepting that God is, that things that come into your life are, like, the will of God, or, you know, I'm thinking of that book that you gave me last week that I'm reading, or how long ago it was, um, Mother Girl Fatty or whatever, and she has this she has this very firm belief that everything is from God. Every conversation, every incident, every whatever is from God sent for her to participate in. Um, but I feel like the failure state of that is a sense of fatalism, a sense that like everything is the way it is and you're just supposed to accept it and it kind of puts you into a state of just like waiting for something else to change rather than you to change. And I definitely have seen that in my own life. Like when I'm unhappy with situations, just praying about them and praying about them and like waiting for God to do something about the situation or being like, oh, well, this is just the will of God that this is how it should be. Um, and I guess reading her work, something that made me, uh, that I thought was, well, yeah, maybe you because you're like this super spiritual person and every aspect of your life is devoted to God. And so yes, like when the monkeys come and steal your stuff, that was like from God. But like when the rest of us, when things happen, is that actually God or is that just life? Like, how much can you trust that things are actually of God in life? Or do you have to be Very a certain question. level of holiness before things are actually like Very the good question. I like, yeah, I want to hear how you respond to this one. Because I, I question that a lot also. Like, I mean, I think, she, I think Mother Ben Real is right. I mean, everything sent to you is sent by God. Everything. Everything. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fatalism, per se, because fatalism is not being active. It's more, it's more of a Calvinistic understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. I know Calvinists would bow up about that in certain ways, but I'm just going to be... There's a kind of fatal... It's like cooked into the machine, right? Because it's a machine. And what the saints, when they're talking like that, is they're talking about, or it's not, it's not like stoicism either, which is this kind of like accept everything so you don't have emotional responses to things so you maintain your rationality and control, right? Because stoicism is really popular right now too. I don't know if you've seen it on the gram, but there's a whole lot of stoicism being out there, being like evangelized. The Christian response is always one, I'll, you know, I'll say of discernment. The question is what do you do with the things as they come? Because you can just go, well, God's not present in that. Or you can find God present and then what does that elicit from you and how does it actually allow you to transform the situation? So it's not actually like a stepping away kind of fatalism that nothing happens, but it does require from you, what do I do in response to this thing? You either take it and you sanctify it and you accept it as a cross and you do something about it. And by accepting the cross, so, so this is another thing, this is not like Christ, we say it in the anaphora, right? That he was given up for the life of the world and we say, or rather, he gave himself up for the life of the world. So, we can let life happen to us and we can just kind of like happen, let it happen to us, like roll over us and we can pray about it, but actively praying and accepting what something is and being able to see that this, I can either respond to this with anger, impatience, in gratitude, or I can accept it and be able to say, I thank God for the fact that, I don't know, I failed the bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
maybe I needed to fail this because my pride or my, I went into it thinking like, I didn't need to study for this thing. This is a random example, but I'm just like the these. So the other thing is needing discernment and being able to talk with somebody about these things. We're not on our own doing these things, uh, so that it doesn't become fatalistic. So that it doesn't. I mean, I, you can probably imagine how many situations I get in with people and pastoral counseling of like, what do we do? And some a lot of people. Some people want me to almost like they're not trying to. They almost like want me to micromanage their spiritual life. And there's others who, like, almost want me to not say anything. So I just try to, I ask a whole lot of questions because I don't want to, I can't make you pray, right? I can't pray for you. I can pray on your behalf. But a lot of spiritual discernment, what I do as I see it, like Paul, like, I'm a midwife. I ask a whole lot of questions and try to see what do you think because I'm not you, Right. I don't live. I don't have your parents. I don't have your significant other. I don't have your car. I don't have your job. I don't. So I can help discern things. I it. I don't think it's a fatalism where you just accept whatever comes. There are times where like really rough situations. I'm like, have you thought about that? You need. I mean, I can think of, of marriages where it's like not going well, or there's abuse or something. I'm like have you considered that you might need to step away for a minute and be separated for a while? I can't bless divorces per se because divorce is something that is a sin. I can't bless sin. But if that is, if it gets to a point, the church also does not just look at these situations and just say like, either one extreme of just like, well, you know, I literally had an Episcopal priest tell me this. I'm just going to say I don't care. He's like, I was like, this friend, it's his second marriage. It's like in his early 20s. And the marriage is falling apart. And I go to this assistant Episcopal priest, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? He's like, oh, you know, shit happens. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> so there's like that extreme of this just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And the other hand of, of kind of like, there's nothing that could ever, like, that you will have to, you know, suffer physical abuse for the rest of your life because you have to be married to this person. The, the church has realized over time that, like, while divorce is never good in and of itself, there are certain situations and realities of things that's just, it's going to happen. It's going to, like, sin exists. <laughs> things break down and fall apart. So you either act like it doesn't exist and some kind of, I feel like this is honestly what happens in a lot of Roman Catholic circles, is like, you just kind of accept that it doesn't exist. Or you go to an extreme and just like, yeah, whatever. So, like, no, I think there's a tension of, like, Good things, bad things can happen, and we have to figure out how do we live before God with these things and actually move towards Him and not let things just bowl us over. I know that was a really long response, but I, I don't think it requires. I, I adamantly, it does not mean fatalism. You just sit down and let things happen to you. I mean, if you look at the lives of the saints, you will see examples of saints where they will I mean, in monasteries. This, as a pedagogical thing, you could have an abbot or an abbess be awful to you because they discern that you are a prideful little whatever and you need to be broken a little bit. The reality in the 21st century in North America, and this is happening in the world in general, like some of the things that you could do in the 8th century in a monastery of like trying to train people, I mean, we do this in the military, there's kind of like a breaking down of someone in order to rebuild them. Monasteries kind of do this too. Uh, and it's in the tradition too to like for spiritual fatherhood that sometimes you might say something really hard to somebody 
and don't want to hear, but it's like this is true, and then we, like this is we have to deal with this, right? Uh, and it's all the point of it is to be able to form someone and move them somewhere. So, should I talk about the news now? Now, when I say noose, when Adrian brought up noose, this is not the uh, N-O-O-S-E. This is a Greek word uh, that is used to talk about, probably the easiest way to talk about it is our heart. The fathers of the church talk about the need for, in prayer, uh, give an example of our, our mind descending into our heart. We live in our world, what is, if, if we're going to talk, we live in a kind of schizophrenic world in North America about our brain and our heart, where you'll get some where it's like we have this world that's like all very head, right? The internet kind of like really listens to this, I think, too. Like, it's very, and then you go like to the movie theater or watch our entertainment. It's all heart, 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 and, and like they don't really know how to exist together. And so we create some really lopsided or like confused situations. In the church, the reality is for us to be able, and we can kind of live. They they, they put the center of us here, that our our heart is here. They don't just mean our physical heart, but that our mind, that we need to be living from here. I think you you phenomenologically experience this, I'm sure. When you're distracted, are you going to say that you're distracted from here? You're going to say that you feel, you almost feel like you're lifted from your body, this kind of like, ah, right? And that's how we wouldn't depict, you know that I look confused or distracted if I'm doing that, right? But the fathers of the church, when they talk about sort of the Jesus prayer, have you all heard about the Jesus prayer very much? This is a repetitious prayer that Orthodox do on a prayer rope, typically. So this is just a small one. You've seen pictures, I just feel the rosary comes from its post crusades it comes from because orthodox had prayer beads or prayer ropes basically uh this is also sufis if you're familiar with islam where they have the remembrance of god uh it comes from this uh it is the repetition and that even in the fathers they will talk about how you sit like and how you close your and to kind of like cut off the world so as to be able to basically descend into the heart to be able to pray. These are all things that are done. You need direction in doing this. And it is something you can read. I, part of the reason I have the stack of books here <laughs> is when I mean, you can get a, a kind of popular presentation by Frederica Matthews Green on the Jesus Prayer. Uh, where she goes through getting started and talking about it. Uh, kind of what is a human being? So it goes back to the news. We are distracted in everything and we don't encounter God when we're like this, right? And this is part of the challenge even in services. It can be like you kind of got your mind and you're kind of like, Jesus, yeah, okay, like things and like make a sign of the cross. But like, you don't, and you walk away and you're like, I didn't even encounter Jesus. Not here, not truly and deeply. This is always a chat. Like it's all an opportunity. It's why we talk about preparation for the services. Because if you come in, you know, blaring whatever crazy music that you listen to, like you know, on two wheels coming into the parking lot, and you roll into church, it's going to take you thirty to forty-five minutes probably to calm down, to be able to like center yourself and be able to actually encounter God, right? 
this is why the church has the cycles of the services. It's why it invites, especially on Saturday night, to be a night of like prayer and downtime and not like just going out and partying and doing whatever. Um, it is uh, the Jesus prayer is that ability to take our mind, to unify it, and to allow it to actually encounter Jesus. And it's something that if you're in a monastery, uh, see this, you know. They're doing the dishes after lunch, and then you just see the monk. You can just see his, his Lord Jesus Christ, God have mercy on me, Lord Jesus Christ. You can see him muttering, or just hear him muttering, uh, because the idea is still you can still do things in the world and still pray, and so the Jesus prayer is something that accompanies everything. It's a short prayer that the the church has basically said, "Here's your sword in order to keep your mind." centered on Jesus instead of like sitting there worrying about whatever you I see your hand yeah yeah um so when people find out that I'm like orthodox most of the time it's well how do you explain the idols and calling people father and all that and some of them do know what the Jesus prayer is and they're like well isn't that vain repetition and I have no answer you know in the Greek it doesn't say vain repetition I know that now it's not even there. What they're talking about in Matthew is pagan ways of talking to God. That it's like, if you do this, if I do this, then you'll do this. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about repetition. Why? Go read the Psalms and tell me there's not repetition. <laughs> there's a ton of repetition. I, and, and I always also just phenomenologically find it hilarious if you go to most of the churches of folks who say those things and then if you were to like objectively say like how many songs do they repeat every single Sunday do I do I come up with creative names for Jesus do I like repetition in and of itself is not bad my kids say daddy 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 and it's annoying sometimes <laughs> But it, it, it is not in and of itself bad. And that phrase, vain repetition, is not actually in the Greek. It's not actually there. It's a translation. What is, what is vain repetition? No, I mean, like, what is what is the Greek that they got vain repetition? They just added it in, from my, my understanding. Oh, well. It's not even there. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure they'll accept that one. So, so the, when... A lot of times with folks who grow up in a Baptocostal world is just the way that I know how to kind of... Generalize it. Yeah. They have a very particular set of verses and way of approaching things. Like what we just talked about, the transfiguration. That would... And the only way that you can maybe get that is if somebody did their master's thesis or a doctorate in scripture on that. And most of the time, I've even read some of those things. Like, I know there was a book that was published by somebody I knew back in college who is, uh, his dad taught at Southern Seminary in Louisville, and he's now a New Testament professor in some Baptist seminary. And he's like, a book on the ascension of our Lord and how we need to, like, reclaim the ascension of our Lord. And, like, we never lost it. What are you talking about? Like, it's, we literally have a major feast is the ascension of our Lord to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So I think with most folks, it is being patient and being able to, a lot of times you're not going to be able to have like one off, like, oh yeah, well, but this, 
because typically the challenge is not, I mean, you could say like, it's not actually, it's a bad translation, that's not what it means, mm-hmm. and that might be helpful, but typically you have to like almost go back, you have to go back to first principles and like reestablish how you approach Christianity, period. Mm-hmm. And most people are not ready to do that. So my experience is talking with folks, if they don't already have questions, you're probably not gonna be able to go very far with them because they're on the defense mm-hmm. or they're on the offense. And when people are like that, this is just us, period, too. Even outside of religious stuff, if you want to like have a serious conversation with people, you're like, I need to, we need to have a talk and immediately. The adrenaline starts rushing, right? Like, what are we going to talk about? What did I do wrong? Like, how defense, you know? So, my suggestion with most people when talking about orthodoxy is to talk about it kind of dispassionately and invite them to come to church. Some people can be super interested and know what to talk, and some people just don't argue. Don't argue. There's no point in arguing. Because even if you one-upped and won, you typically don't do anything to actually get them to see anything differently. Mm-hmm. They'll just move to the next thing. Like, I'm, I'm kind of okay at defending the icons, but even in the most, like, charitable, loving, basic breakdown way, at the end of it, they go, oh, that's just your explanation for idolatry. Like, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Thank you, is what I say. Yeah. Peace be with you. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Because, I mean, he who, I mean, this is what our Lord is saying. I'm not saying that we're like our Lord, in the, but like he who has ears to hear can hear. And like, if they can't tell, like in the Old Testament, they had a whole bunch of stuff in the temple. And if they went back on a journey in time, they would probably be like, these pagans. I'm like, no, those are Jews. <laughs> Worshiping the one God of Israel. And they got some giant angels in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And they've got some fascinating fabric with all sorts of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that whitewashed, empty auditorium, mm-hmm. that would look really weird to a Jew. Mm-hmm. And I would say Christians for the past two millennia. It's all perspective. I mean, when I growing, when I was growing up, grew up Church of Christ, you know, we'd have Lord's Supper every single Sunday. And it was all, it was like, you would think that basically in the first century, it was guys in business suits standing up with Wel- Welch's grape juice and matzah crackers, and that was Holy Communion. Yeah, that's what we did. And, that, and that's what you assume. This is what they did. And you start looking back and like, not what they were doing at all. And if we went to Israel, then how is this, why is this just gigantic jump from yeah. Israel to like, what? I don't know. Matzah crackers? That's what we did at the Baptist church. We had Welch's grape juice and crackers. That's what we did. The sweet bread in the Methodist church. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not trying to denigrate. I just think it's just when you have all of those presuppositions, you're going to read the text weird. Mm-hmm. From, my, like, from my point of view of like, when I read Don Chrysostom, I'm just like, yeah. I read St. Gregory the Great. I'm like, yeah, St. Gregory the Theologian or St. Gregory of Palamas. I'm like, they all are, you, like, you can tell they all belong to the same church. And then you randomly listen to some guy, you know, in a mega church. I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes it's awesome. Like sometimes they're they're right on. They 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 got it. And other times it's just like okay, that's just not the same. Because you can only see what you can actually see. I mean that sounds kind of redundant, but like if you if you are looking at it like this, you just can't see it. So to go back to the noose and prayer and Jesus prayer, the the repetition of the Jesus prayer is the basically the cooling down of the mind that is racing around trying to because our basic problem with sin is that we're addicted to things 
Hmm. Right? We're addicted to pleasure, period. And I, that doesn't have to be, like, you know, beer, sex, and money, right? Like, it, those can be nice, like, uh, uh, iconic things, or drugs, or, like, rock and roll lifestyles, like, whoa, or, you know, the prodigal son. We, we, we are, we will, I don't know about you guys, it's like, if you're really hungry and somebody gets in the way of you eating, like, we call it, even have a word for this, hangry, right? Like, that's a thing. It's just an example of, like, we will put our momentary discomfort over someone else getting in the way of, like, and, right? We are, the way the fathers talk about this, with the fall, what happened was, I mean, there was, it was presented at Eve, right? And they, they look on it, and what did they see of the fruit? It looked good. It looked really good, right? It promises, I'm going to become God. I'm going to become like God. This is what I do, I do, the whole basic problem of idolatry. This is what our sin problem is, is that we are enslaved to things that we're not supposed to enslave. We're trying to eat things that don't work for us. So the ascetical life of the church is all basically a detox program to get us off of the stuff that we're not supposed to eat and drink, metaphorically, right? It's part of the reason why we have to fast. Because the fathers have a very strong emphasis, like if you can't control your stomach, you can't control anything, especially lower than the stomach. They have a very strong connection between over uh, sensuality period, and then of course sensuality, right? That we, of course, Chrysostom a lot on covetousness. We love money because it makes us feel comfortable so that we don't have to live in that discomfort and we will do whatever it takes in order to never have to feel, you know, we, we I can just keep going, right? You can see this in all, how it all is a web and it's all interconnected to each other. Like, uh, that anger and lust are connected to each other. That, and this is why we fast in a certain, from certain things because when you overindulge, you almost always overindulge in other ways too. It's like a, oh, it's like the gateway drug. You might not be like oversleeping, over whatevering, right? So your your tongue is just like loose, and you just say all sorts of stupid stuff, right? Hurtful, harmful, gossipy, blah blah blah, right? Like the 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 ascetical life and why the Jesus prayer is especially seen as a tool is to be able to, for us to be able to center ourselves upon him who is the meaning for everything our, our savior so this is something that is done under the advice of a spiritual father uh, and it is one of the basic tools that is in the uh, the ascetical life and particularly the struggle with thoughts so I kind of gave a broad understanding of sin and what the challenge is. This is just a little book. Uh, these are books that if you want to borrow them to be able to read, you're welcome to because they come from the library here. Uh, and that all of our spiritual life is really, especially the struggle with sin, it is a struggle with our thoughts. How does sin come into it? How do, it has to come, this is like James 1, right? Sin is something that we think or is enticed or temptation comes from without or from within. Floating spider. Mm -hmm. I'm always just like, how in the world? <laughs> Serious bass jumper or something. But that when we have 
we don't do actions without the thought first coming in, right? Now, you might be saying, well, yeah, there's a lot of things I do and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Well, the fathers would talk, call those things habits where you, there's not even a struggle against the temptation. It's just like, yeah, I like the way that apple looks. Bam, you're eating it, right? We don't know if it's an apple, by the way, Adam and Eve. I know it's always depicted as an apple. Who knows? It's some kind of fruit. Uh, but the reality of why the Jesus prayer is so essential is because everything is a battle here. I mean, part of the reason why we have such a mental health crisis going on right now, especially in general, is because we've lost all perspective about, like, I'm pointing here, but, like, here, right? Like, we are so distracted, so overstimulized all over the place, and we keep looking for those things to actually feed us, and they're not going to. So the fathers talk about there's ba a, a basic pattern uh, with uh, the stages of sin. There is the assault where you have the temptation. And this is something that you, if you are habituated to something, it can be something, a memory that comes up, right? It could be something that is presented to you from without. Or it could be something that you drum up inside of yourself and, and invite in. And then there is this time that can happen where you either consent to it and approve it, or you say no. So the Jesus prayer is something that allows us, we see the temptation. This means that we have to be aware of what's going on inside of us, right? That means living in such a way that we can actually attend to the thoughts as they assault us is being able to deflect those things. And the fathers have different advice. Some of them, it's, it's basically almost like Jesus and with the money lenders, like overturning tables. Like sometimes you have to be like, no, like that righteous anger, because the fathers do talk about anger is not just something it is a natural good, actually. It is to fight evil, right? There's some that, like, don't try to do that because once you engage the thought, especially if it's a demonic suggestion and they're pushing on you, then they're just going to get you in a different way because they've, they've invited you into the dance and now they've got you, right? Some of it's just like, don't even try to, like, push and fight. Just go to Jesus. <laughs> go to the Mother of God. Like, just... Go to the one who's going to save you. So this is why the Jesus prayer, like to go, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's other advice to the be, you know, go to your icon corner and do prostrations. If you know, do something to break the temptation, yeah. right? Because some temptations, that it is something that is, for lack of a word, like hot and heavy, and it's something that we need to like stop there. There's others that are more subtle, right? Like gossip. It's way more subtle, <laughs> right? It's really easy to fall into it. There, there are certain things that we need conviction of and mindfulness and prayerfulness so that we can actually battle those things. Uh, the whole idea is to break out of the pattern of sinfulness. And you can, if you start actually trying to struggle with particular passions that you are addicted to, and you step back a little bit, you can start seeing the <coughs> patterns. How did I get to this place? It's usually because of because with idolatry we're trying to cover hide something, right? Some perceived lack. Loneliness, not being connected, like feeling shame about ourselves or all these things. And so instead of you know about this like we're really sad so we eat a, a gallon of ice cream or something like that, like this kind of right? We go to food, we go to sex, 
we go to I'm gonna get power and whatever money like these things in order to like fill the hole so the spiritual life of the Orthodox Church I'm kind of giving a really broad as you can tell like there's a lot reading the lives of the saints helps to be able to learn spiritual tools or um, particular ways to fight certain passions and part of in coming to learn about orthodoxy for example this book way of the ascetics by tito coliander is a very nice um, summary of what the ascetical life of the church is uh there's one particular book i'm looking for does anyone have any questions while i'm looking for this book um, I have a question. Yep. So, I think that's quite uh, like a common thing, right? That people say, like, we have this longing in our heart, and we have these things that we try and fill it with. But really, like, kind of put it in the simplistic way that it's described to children: you have a Jesus-shaped heart, yeah, right. and, yeah, right. you know. Um, and so, if you just come to God and come to Christianity and come to faith, that will be filled. Um, and Not if simply. you and if you try it and it doesn't work, well, you didn't try it hard enough. You didn't do it right. Uh, and I think that's probably been one of my biggest struggles and frustrations is the sense of, like, I have been Christian my whole life. I still have that longing. I still have that sense of lack. And maybe there are moments in which I feel like it is filled by God. But maybe there are moments in which I feel like it is genuinely filled by a conversation I have with someone and just connection. Um, and so then maybe you say, well, you have to get to the level of the saints before you actually are filled. Or maybe they live their whole life in longing as well, and that's just what, what it is. What you is. just said at the end is the key. Is that there's all, there is built into this, from the view of the Father's love is an infinite thing. Because we're kind of, kind of talking about it from like a, a lack perspective as opposed to like love's overflowingness. And that there is, in the life of the Trinity... God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are in a constant uh, relationship of outpouring love for each other. So St. John Damascene will call this like the perichoresis. It's almost, I'm going to use a, like a, a constant dance of love that is this infinite overflowingness towards each other. So you're right in this kind of like, this is a quaint thing that people say like, you have this longing in your heart. Augustine talks like this, right? It's the very beginning of Confessions. But I, I would say the thing to supplement that is it's not just a negativity, but it's also a positivity that we are made to be ecstatic. And by ecstatic, I don't mean like, ah, but like ecstasis means to like from outside of it, like to go forth from, right? Like static with stasis, ex means like exit from ourselves. We are made. So there's nothing wrong with like feeling fulfilled in some way with a relationship with a good conversation with somebody. I would say God is present in that. And that's not a denigration of him because the hierarchy of the entire world and everything that is that we blessed fruit today is this kind of aspect of like God comes to us and blesses fruit even, right? Not just some like abstract spiritual thing, but like this is all spiritual. And I know that sounds kind of, but like it just is, right? So I think it is for those who are struggling with Christ, uh, I, I would not say you just have to try harder. Uh, I think it is that Christ is present with that, and sometimes it's like 
a, a, a change of mind, or it might just be things that I don't understand, and I would just listen to somebody in a pastoral setting because I don't know what's going on. I don't have all the answers, and sometimes there aren't answers, and you just have to sit with somebody in that that doubt or that disbelief or that struggle. That's kind of that midwife thing. Going back to like, I, as, as a priest, you know, I, I've had folks who be like, "We have all the answers because you're a priest. Like you're like Jesus to us." I'm like. I mean, on some symbolic level, yes. However, I am Daniel still. <laughs> like, I am a... I mean, this is all through our prayers. I mean, I think we talked about this when we did the liturgy, right? Like, talking about... Like, there's a specific silent prayers where I'm talking about, like, I'm a mess, and this is you. And you're going to use me, the mess. This is my rendition, right? This is not what it actually says. Like, because this is all of it. This is how God... He uses our... You know, five loaves and two fishes. That's what we have. So, and sitting with folks who are, are struggling with those things, just listening, allowing them to express those things, to be able. To, a lot of times, it's because of wounds and traumas and situations. Or, uh, and I don't mean hurt feelings as this kind of like, oh, you have some hurt feelings, but like people being betraying them or just things not working out the way they are, and just like that sucks. You're right. Christians could be jerks. The church is not perfect. The church is, the, I would say, the church is the path to salvation, but man, we depose bishops because bishops do bad things. We depose priests because priests do stupid and bad things, right? Uh, and even outside of that, like, there are times, and I think this, in joining a community, we have to love each other, which means we have to suffer each other. Because you got, it's like, you have to put up with me, and I have to put up with you. And I don't mean that in that, a negative sense of like, put up, it's just like, this is where we are and this it, we either reject it and try to figure out our own way and from a Christian perspective it's like well, God bless you on your journey I hope that you find what you're looking for we'll be here and you're welcome to still hang out or be here with us but like this is who we confess to be God this is who we know to be God and this is who we're following I, I feel like I talk a whole lot when you ask a question and I hope I'm somehow answering it because you ask the kind of questions that require a book or two <laughs> which is great uh, you know that I love your questions but I hope that was helpful in some way I, I, I do not think always the question is just try harder I think usually it, a lot of times my advice to folks is to like simplify and step back and really try to wrestle with something some people I've encountered where they struggle with like evolution like, how much have you read about, like, Christian theology and evolution? I'm like, oh, I read a book. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff out there. You might want to read a little bit more. Ah, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't work. I'm like, well, if, if, you re if this is really what your concern is, to me, you would be like, I'm going to delve into this and try to figure it out because this is like a life or death situation instead of like, to me, it's almost, I don't know about you guys, in college, where most of you basically have been Christian your whole life, right? Not you, yeah. You're, you're always exceptions, sorry, Jacob. <laughs> but, like, all, I had so many friends going to college, really devout and faithful, and I was just like, where, where did they go? What's going on? Like, oh, oh, they don't believe in God anymore? I, oh, they got a girlfriend. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, they started doing something else, and now they don't want to go to here. They don't want to deal with things because... 
they've gotten themselves into a situation, if you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, so the reality, that, that is one aspect where I was just like, okay, well then, and I saw a lot of those actually over time, they, they worked themselves out and they healed themselves and they, they came back to church or they, they figured themselves out. Though sometimes it is sin. That's just the thing that blinds us. And we're just like, I don't really want to do that God thing. because Sometimes it is intellectual stuff, but then like a lack of desire to do it. And sometimes it is just, we live in a world that is so desacralized and so efficient and provides everything that we could ever want and need. And it is really easy to not believe in God now. I think the deck is stacked against us. And I think when we hear Jesus say things like, will there be faith on the earth when I return, right? And you're like, yeah, because people don't believe hard enough. And sometimes it's just things like, yeah, because as humans, we also are continuing to create our Tower of Babel and recreate our own utopia without God. And, and sometimes it works pretty well. Or it seems to work pretty well. Yes, I'm not saying, that's all, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm saying it offers something very, you know? And I also understand just, like, the struggle of just, like, I don't experience these things. I don't know what to do with it. And so I can't embrace, I can't go because I don't know. I can, that is, to me, the, the two things that are, like, I understand that I don't get it on with Christianity are the, the question of suffering. Why does God allow suffering? And then the question of just like, I don't feel or I don't experience what it is you're talking about, so I can't actually wrap my head around it. Because it just doesn't, I, I, it doesn't make sense. For both of those, I typically, I think the, the best approach from a Christian is patience and witnessing. Because it's never that encounter, to go back to like that apologetic moment, it's never that encounter where I'm like, I'm going to present a perfect argument and you're going to get it now, and then everything's going to be fine. I have, I be, I, that doesn't work with me. I can't imagine that working with any sentient creature because we're way more complicated and multi-layered. It's not like I didn't know an argument, and now it's, it says free, right? There are some people, they're ready for something that an argument will set them free. But those people are usually pretty far and few between. And it might be that they're not ready now, and in 10 years they might be ready for it because they need to experience more life some heartache or some experience of grace that they didn't even know to call that grace until after they actually see Jesus. By see, I mean, like, actually know who he is. And then you can see things that you could never see before. Any other questions? Does it have to be related to what we're talking about here? Nope. Okay, um, so... If it's about aliens, then no, I don't. No, no. <laughs> there's no such thing as those. There's demons, and then there's what the government can make you see. Do you want to present it to Congress? Uh, <laughs> yes. I just hope I can. <laughs> well, um, so, like, pre- like ha- trying to... I know we're not praying to saints, but we're... Yeah, I we guess are. We're praying. Well, I mean, not like worshiping them. Right, right. okay. Um, so, we had an incident at work where somebody had been clean from drugs for three years, and they had a moment of weakness gave themselves a pulmonary embolism and then the drugs went in and they didn't make it. And, you know, one, I guess I wasn't prepared for how far the world has fallen because nobody did any sort of praying at all. I mean, the people that were concerned about the guy who knew him were just shattered and in pieces. They did CPR on him for like 15 minutes. Uh I mean, it's awful, awful. It's like the seventh time I've seen something like this happen. 
And I had one person come up to me and was like, well, your Jesus thing, that's good. And I'm like, thank you, I guess, you know, that you at least said that. But I didn't really know how to, like, it didn't seem appropriate to invoke any saints because at that point it seemed like God yeah, and Jesus. Not. So in the early church, when you were inquiring into the church, they would actually, remember where we say, like, depart, catechumens, depart? Yeah. You were literally kicked out of the church. Mm-hmm. Not like, get the heck out of here, but like, escorted out because the mysteries were only for those fully initiated into the church. Mm-hmm. The There is a way that the fathers talk about, you know, if I'm going to talk to somebody about God, I'm going to talk a whole lot about Jesus. I'm probably not going to talk about Mary that much. Mary is, for example, our veneration for her and the position that she has follows from you accepting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You don't you don't usually lead with, hey, let me tell you about the good news of Mary. Because the good news of Mary is the good news of Jesus, right? So there is this sense in which there is the public proclamation of the gospel, and then there is something that is internal to the life of the church that is not something that is just thrown out. The pearls don't just get strewn everywhere. We do live in the 21st century, so everybody knows that you go on Wikipedia and see what we think about Mary or what we think about whatever right but in the early church there was this sense of like there is something that we present and talk about with the world and there's other things that we do internal in the life of the church that is something that those who are initiated and understand what is going on that they can embrace that so you not invoking saints in a situation is fine it doesn't mean that you have like you know pissed off the gods or something (laughs) quite not you know that's that's not how it works Mm -hmm. so like if I am president and I'm priest, then I, I'm probably my focus is going to be. So, for example, for us, there's a canon that is read when somebody is dying. Basically, the canon of departure from the body. It's all about uh, the Theotokos is all through there, because there is a sense we we talk about that it's not like you die and you're just like heaven or hell, but that there is a process that is involved. Forty days. Forty days. Yes. Uh, and there is in that process of dying and then being translated to the next life, there are things because we aren't perfect when we die, right? I don't know about you guys. I, I would like to be, but like even the saints talk about like I wish I had more time to repent, right? So we don't automatically like all of our passions just go away, but that they are still attached to us, and there's something that is going to keep us connected to the earth, and it's something that we pray about that the Mother of God will help us in our transition to the next life. So I'm giving you an example of like if a priest and I'm going to do it with somebody's orthodox, I'm going to do the canon for the departure of the soul. And it's going to be a whole. It's going to be a lot of stuff talking about the mother of God helping them, because we believe in the the fellowship of the saints, uh, the the reality that we're not. This isn't a solo thing. But if you're in a crisis situation with people who are barely on the edge about Jesus, just talking to Jesus is fine. That could be later that you do prayers and you ask for intercessions or help. Of particular saints, but in that in that setting, it's fine. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. I, you know, I'm very new to all of this. I just I'm vaguely familiar with like the it, it'll take Mary time and stuff. So it'll take time. I didn't know if I was. And it'll it take wrong. more time than you probably think, and that is okay. There's still ten, you know, ten years into being Orthodox, and I felt that I was starting to get my mind wrapped around not like that I didn't understand it, but that like I like lived into it and was experienced in it, right? Mm-hmm. So it just takes time. Is that the front of it? Yeah, front of it would be just basically like 
um, familiarity in how the church is, like the mind of the church. Okay? All right. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, the light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next week, uh, because the Dormition is going to be that Tuesday, uh, we'll be talking about the Mother of God, the Theotokos. So if there's questions that you have about that in general, uh, that'll be what we talk about next week. Okay? I'm pretty sure. It's not virtues, is it? It should be the Mother of God. That makes sense. I, I saw the calendar and I was like, this is the reason I'm going to talk. Before you can yeah, you can. I have a, what could be short or long answered question. Do you, so being, I had a thought today. Do you want me to record this or not record it? It's up to you. It's, it, it could be relevant. Okay. Uh, I had a thought on the way here. I got, I came for class because I was late coming back into town and I got caught up in just a touch of uh, faith promise traffic coming uh-huh. up Pellet City. <laughs> and I had a moment where I was like, wow, you know, like all of my Christian friends my age around here attend some flavor of megachurch. Right. Is there like some reading or some book or something you recommend for entering into orthodoxy in the modern Bible Belt? I mean, the thing that I would hand to most people is this because she assumes that that's your background and okay. that's how she taught communicates to them. Okay. So, uh, this is something that you're thinking about your friends. I know this is kind of thick. Uh, other than that, it's basically... I actually have a copy? copy of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's long, but it's easy. Another, are you kind of looking like for catechetical stuff, or are you talking about just like the experiential aspect of things? Uh, both. Uh, there's another book, uh, I think it might be in my office that I can get, that is very much geared towards like a Protestant inquirer. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of these things... It's all about whether or not they're interested or not. Right. Yeah. So, so my thing, it's not like trying to evangelize them or even trying to defend orthodoxy. It's just interesting because I've begun to realize just how, I, I don't know how to, different how different, like sometimes I'm like, are, it almost doesn't feel like the same religion. We're, we're, it, right. It does not feel the same religion a lot of the time. I mean, I would say you're right. <laughs> well, that's comforting. I, 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 not in some triumphalistic, it's just not. It is a dissected form. It's like a withered form. And you can see, like, yeah, Jesus. But it's so distracted away from the trunk. Like, it it has been cut off so long from the life-giving roots that you need of the historic church. There's this, some of the, what really pushed me over the edge, like, I'm I'm done, I've got to figure something else out, was... When I realized the church had welcomed in this idea of religiosity being bad. I think piety in general. Yes. And like, I had heard that from people outside the church. Like, okay. Like that kind of thing, that rap about how right. like, Jesus is not religious. Or yeah, is exactly. It? Like, yeah. Just a relationship with Jesus, not religiosity. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I heard that, and then once I started to it proliferate, even in. That's not even historic Protestantism. It's not. It's just it's a new. Not. If that's you go read I, old reforms, go read Puritans and tell me that that's how the Puritans think. That they don't think like that. No, and that's why <laughs> this like because I, I was raised traditionally United Methodist, and so yeah, there was gonna, some religiosity there. Yeah. Piety, that, that definitely. Was, right, that yeah. I was taught was good, and it's okay. I, I I don't know what's happening. I gotta go elsewhere. 
I think what you had is the infiltration of marketing mm -hmm. and uh, church as a consumer good and mm -hmm. option. And it's very numbers driven. It's very numbers driven and it's very consumption oriented. It, it so as long as we get butts in the seat. Right. It, it seems like they feel like that's like a win for battle. Jesus. Yeah. It, and it's, really it's a secularization it's of the like church. Tip of the iceberg is getting someone in the building. Yeah, yeah. You guys have heard of John MacArthur, I'm sure. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he runs Master Seminary, and he just pumps, pumps these people out, and they are everywhere now. And if you've ever, especially like the 70s, because I mean, you're talking about how this is not even historical Protestant, like no. Zwingli and Martin Luther and John yeah. Calvin themselves. But if you just, like, if you say, I think you're the starting point, like John MacArthur is just basically a deconstructionalist. Just take yep. everything that could even have the most minor hint of Catholicism, even the most, like, <laughs> you, you look at it, and it's not Catholic at all, but you think maybe in another universe it could be Catholic. That's attack. Get away. Yeah, yeah, I mean, everything. So now it is just, you know, I joke about it with other Protestants, like, it is a concert, a lecture, and then you pay for it at the end. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that is it. And there are no sacraments, there are ordinances. Right. And like yeah. you said, grape juice instead of wine, and right. crackers instead of bread. And, you know, like, I want to say that John MacArthur's Master Seminary pumps out like 500 priests a year that just, they're all over the place now. And they're all either four or five point Calvinists too and really dedicated to it. I encountered, when I was an undergrad, I was at Western Kentucky University, which is down the, the interstate from Southern Seminary in Louisville. And it was Reformed Baptist all the time, all the, like, I was just surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. And I was the, always the odd duck out of being orthodox and just always being like, guys, could you please read the first millennia? It, all you do, if you even read Calvin, which most of them aren't even really reading Calvin, they're only reading like John Piper. And like at that time, it was like Mark Driscoll was really popular. Um, Mark Dever, like certain these kind of reformed Baptist types. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And it just really creates a very... You're getting Christianity, but it is a very uh, lacking form. <laughs> like, it's just... It's just intellectual. It, it, it's like a drop out of a bucket, it seems like to me. If you actually step back and actually read, like, the first 1,500 years, yeah. If you actually go back to, like, actual, like, continental reformed Protestantism or Lutheranism, you're still closer. I mean, you're still in a different universe, because that just mm -hmm. went a different direction than historic Christianity, but... Yeah, I think a lot of it is just having those, uh, delving into the life of the church, learning from the church, and then having those relationships and just encountering people. And you're going to say things that at some point just seem like completely like normative orthodox things. And some people you just say that and they're just like, what? You're like, what? I didn't say, this is just what it is. And it's just like, wow, that is incredible. It's like. I'm just repeating what St. John Chrysostom said. I'm well, not even doing anything. in a good way. Like, yeah. I hear you, hear you guys say things like, that, that, that makes so much sense. Like, oh, yeah, that's just like normal stuff. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. So the real hard part is when all of the gloss and all of the things, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then you're like the real rubber hitting the road and the real like dealing with our stuff and then navigating each other. Mm-hmm. Cause it's all really cool in theology and all this stuff, and then like the choir director ticks you off or 
you interpret somebody or something or they do like somebody literally does something to you right and then sticking with the church even though you've now encountered the fullness of the church of humans in the church <laughs> and not just the, all the nice theology and the stories about monks from somewhere else or mm-hmm. you know people from somewhere else but like here and now mm-hmm. I'm going to stop recording there so that 